Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. I guess today is Artie Salpe, uh, who's currently the, the VP of Technology at Farmer's Fridge. Before that, you were with Trunk Club and a number of other companies in the Chicagoland area, including some, some uh, trading firms. Um, did I miss anything in the intro there? Yeah, they, you know, I've bounced around a lot, but you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I think that's good enough. Sure. Cool. Um, well, can you share a little bit about Farmer's Fridge and kind of the, well, the teams you oversee right now and, and what the sure. company looks like? So uh, Farmer's Fridge, uh, we produce fresh food every day. Um, and uh, we sell most of our food is sold in vending machines. We're also in some retail locations. You can find us in Jewel in the Chicago area, uh, Targets in the Chicago area, and also some Targets on the East Coast. And we also have a delivery business. Uh, so we sell food and and packages uh, and that's through about 42 states we'll do delivery and you can find us our vending machines in about 19 states so uh, and we'll take in fresh ingredients process it assemble it package it and distribute it every day uh, sending it across the country so it's a pretty big operation to get that out uh, since it's obviously got a short shelf life so you got to get it to people as fast as you can sure um, for anyone who hasn't tried Farmer's Fridge, when I worked in, out of 1871 um, in the Merchandise Mart, uh, Farmer's Fridge had a, a, a vending machine there, and I think I ate a salad from there probably most days for, for two years, and it was you know, significantly better than waiting 45 minutes in line for you know some salad that was going to be $5 more and probably didn't taste as good. I, I remember uh, I had a similar kind of experience. Uh, we had uh, one uh, uh, 150 North Wacker. And there was a Starbucks there. And if I worked late and, you know, like, you know, through lunch, I would go to the Starbucks and get food. And I probably shouldn't brag on Starbucks, yeah. but Starbucks food is terrible. Like, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Like, like their lunch food is awful. So they put one next to it. And uh, like the, somebody, uh, somebody told me like, yeah, you should try this. They put a new vending machine with salads in there. I'm like, my first reaction was, yeah, a salad out of a vending machine. Like I want to eat that. But sure. <laughs> they told me that salads are really good and they are really good. It was much better than eating the Starbucks food. Yeah, absolutely. It's still my go-to when I'm in O'Hare. Um, or I guess you, you said now expanded to a lot of different airports. So I, I got to keep an eye open now. Uh, great. Can you share a little bit about the kind of the tech stack and the teams that you oversee? Sure. Uh, yeah, we've got... Uh... We've got a couple of different engineering teams. We've got an IT team, got a data engineering team and one data scientist, but we're building that out. So, um, you know, so that's, that's the group we have. We basically focus uh, for the engineering. We focus in two areas. There is the more consumer focused area, which we call the revenue team. So it's those things that generate new revenue. And then we have what we call the supply chain team. And that's basically handling all of the processing of the food, the distribution of food, all those things, you know, the internal processes for their operations team to do that data engineering team, which, you know, obviously consolidates all the data and the data science so we can apply both those uh, learnings to um, A, serving our customers better and B, making our operations more efficient. So, you know, they, they consolidate the data, but they also work on, you know, using, getting us information from that data to do a better job there. Um, and uh, the IT team, which uh, also is our service tech. So they, you know, standard IT stuff, setting up your PCs, operations, but also a team of people to go out in the field and we'll fix the vending machines when they're broken. Nice. And is it still like Python and JavaScript focused? Yep. Yeah. So we are, we are, 
Python, a little bit of Go and Java, but uh, we do everything serverless. So we have a serverless stack. We use Kinesis for our messaging, DynamoDB in our backend. We have React frontends. Uh, we also have uh, some Android and iOS developers. Um, so it's, you know, high level, that's our stack. Nice, great. Can you share a little bit about your pathway in the technology? I know you said you've been doing it for, for 30 plus years. Maybe we're, we're reaching back, but I'm always curious how people got started. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was at school. Uh, I, my father was a professor, so I went to school for free. So I spent quite a few years in college just, you know, without a real direction because sure. uh, we weren't paying for it. Uh, and then at some point I decided I needed to get a degree. So I'd already taken quite a bit of uh, computer science classes. So I just kind of mm -hmm. focused on that. I enjoyed it and I'd, I'd made some progress, but it was a, it was a two, two factor. Like I wanted to get a degree and two, I enjoyed it. Uh, so I already went down that. So went down that path literally was kind of a choice of, um, having to pick a degree and kind of liking it. So I got in from there and uh, my first job was uh, from my roommate who, uh, who I don't know how he knew this guy who was trying to start a consulting firm. Um, and uh, so he was looking for some cheap resources. So <laughs> I think he paid me $9 and 50 cents an hour to go to Alcoa's steel plant in the Cleveland area to, to do some programming for them. So Nice. $9.50 an hour for my first engineering job. Hey, well, there you go. I, I tell people all the time, like, get something that pays, right? <laughs> it might not be the job yeah. you, you want, but at least it's something on a resume, right? And yep, it was getting rid of converting one database to another. So I did get some Oracle experience there, which used to matter, but now, you know, sure. you know it's, we've, we've changed, the world has changed again. <laughs> yeah. Well, how'd you um, end up with, with Former Fridge? Uh, Basically, uh, Candace, who was the uh, VP of engineering um, at uh, Trunk Club, she came to Farmer's Fridge and uh, she recommended me. So I was her director of engineering and she was the CTO. Uh, and Candace has moved on. So I, and I moved up to the VP of tech, but it was basically through my connection with Candace that uh, I started there. Yeah, great. I, I, um, I like to, I don't know, point out and, and just, tell folks if you do good work those are the people who will remember you right? <laughs> especially if they go to a similar situation i think and then you can correct me if i'm wrong but probably when you joined trunk club that was kind of that scaling period right and then it seemed like um, farmers fridge tried to do a similar thing right so Candace knew you had that background and the ability to do that right and we were much earlier at farmers fridge uh trunk club was struggling a little bit with um they had a kind of outgrown their tech stack mm, so yeah. they were at a bigger scale but you know like uh they were getting to the point where their tech stack couldn't really handle the load. Uh, sure. Farmer's Fridge, we got in early enough so that we that that the tech was we were. Uh, I think there was five engineers when I started, so uh, and we've got about thirty three to thirty five people oh, wow. right now. You know, so like, you know, yeah. there's, there's we were early enough to be able to adjust the tech stack before it got to start failing. Sure. So that, that seems like quite a bit of growth over the last couple of years, especially through, uh, you know, <laughs> um, uh, COVID years, right? So uh, I guess what is the, have you done technical interviews lately? And what are you particularly looking for, for, for your team or, or for various different teams there? Uh, in general, yeah. I mean, I get in to, I'll interview all the candidates. Usually I'll leave most of the technical interviews to the engineers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the engineering managers, but at times, you know, we're, you might be missing an engineering manager or somebody's sure. out. So I'll hop into those things. 
I'm comfortable doing a technical interview. I hesitate to do it though, because I think it's intimidating having to talk to the VP of tech and have them sure. ask them technical questions, right? So I try to try to not do that too much. Um, but yeah, I've done it in the last year. I've probably done 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. I've never even thought about that, um, of it being like, more intimidating, but I, it, it's, it's absolutely correct, right? If I'm talking, thinking of talking to a senior engineer, right, or someone that might be a peer, like, okay, well, we're probably of, of similar mindsets, or if they have different opinions, their opinion doesn't come with 30 years of experience, I should be intimidated by, right? <laughs> right. Versus, or, or, yeah, if I fundamentally disagree with something, you're going to go like, oh, I totally screwed up the interview. Like, sure. And right, you right, feel right. like you may be able to debate with an engineer why your solution is better. You're probably not going to want to debate with your boss's boss about why your solution is better <laughs> right especially if you know first day out of the job is like oh there's that guy i <laughs> i argued <laughs> yeah. with at the interview right <laughs> yeah interesting uh cool what are you typically evaluating for when you're interviewing for for uh farmer stretch yeah you know there may be some special cases but in general um just the ability to think through a problem solve it you know so i don't really worry too much about people's past technology stacks and what they've done um, as long as you know so like uh, even though we're python we have coding exercise we'll accept it in any language that you want to do right and it's and it's whatever you're most comfortable with because we just want to be able to see that you can solve the problem you can think through it because my general perception is if you do that well you can do it whatever your technology stack is you'll learn it right so it's really just you know and seeming to enjoy it as well you know like really wanting to solve that problem and being excited about being able to prove what you did yeah. Does that tie into like being excited about the kind of the business model as well? Or is it more about solving technical problems? Uh, both. I'd like to know people, uh, you know, do, uh, I, I kind of divide it into when you're looking for a job, you should be looking for, you know, different things. One, you should be looking for a product that you believe in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you should care about that. You know, Bitcoin is a real thing and it's cool, but if you don't really care about Bitcoin, you probably shouldn't be working for a company that is, you know, some sort of investment around crypto, right? And so yeah. if you're not really interested in healthy food or the food business, then Farmer's Fridge probably isn't for you. You may be able to talk about why this position matters for you in other ways, but you know, there should be something that draws you to it, right? Sure. You should see that there is a place that you can be successful. You know, you look at it and say, there's a need, I can see I can fill that need and I can be a success here. And you should be looking for like, are these the kind of people I wanna work with, right? Is this the kind of place and environment that I think I would enjoy being and working with? You know, so those are the kinds of things. And at the same time, I want to see you having thought through those things when I'm talking to you. Sure. Is the the culture ad or the the, the non technical perspective? I'm a big piece of your your interviewing as well. It is. Uh, I think you know, like uh, I think that can be a very undervalued, you know, aspect. You may be an for lack of a better term, like an average engineer, but a great influence on the team, excited, happy, and you know, you may add more value and probably will than somebody who's a better engineer who's just kind of like keeps them themselves and doesn't really add to the culture. So I think it's a great, sure. it's good to have a mix of people with, you know, uh, different aspects. And I think, you know, all of those things can be important glue to keep your team moving forward. So I think culture add is a very big deal. Yeah, coming from the recruiting world into engineering, it's it's you know used to having a lot of extroverted people who are always 
almost right. almost too many team activities, right? Or people too willing to set that up versus like being on a couple of teams where there wasn't very much of that at all. Even having like one person on a team, right, who puts in a little bit of effort around like, I don't know, growth or, or team bonding or something does make a huge difference, right? Because you're like, oh, I actually, it's easy to, especially in a remote world, to be maybe shorter with people than you, you, you need to be just because you don't know them all that well versus like, Oh, you know, I, I, I know Arnie. So maybe I'm going to put a little bit more thought into my wording of this message. Right. I think, it, you know, it's easier to, it's a lot easier to misinterpret things, of course, yeah. in the remote world. Right. Uh, particularly since a lot of your communication is through, you know, slacking somebody or yelling somebody. Um, and then because of that, you know, it, it's also a lot easier to form like clicks, Sure. You know, like yeah. this is my go-to group of people to talk to, which means people can be feel left out. So to have the people that really want to make sure that everybody's being included and you know gets their opinion heard, I think is even more important in a remote world than it was when everybody was in the office. Totally. I, I haven't even. I so I've never worked in an office as an engineer, right? Everything's been remote. <laughs> yeah. I haven't even thought about. Oh, you know, there's there's an aspect of like just being in an office. You're going to walk by people and therefore maybe may more likely to include them versus like. On Slack, if we don't message regularly, we might not talk for, for weeks, right? Yeah, I, I used to try to set up when we were in offices, my uh, engineers to be back to back to each other. So like, you know, in a row, so yeah. that somebody could kind of roll back and say, hey, like, I'm running into this problem, you know, and then they may be asking one person, but there's enough people around them so that, you know, everybody got to, you know, hear and offer opinions and things, you know, which can be a little distracting, but I also thought it was good for them to communicate and make sure everybody felt included. Um, and that's a much harder thing to do in a remote world, right? Sure, sure. I mean, I, I paired with two people the other day, like at the same time, because someone just offhand mentioned, oh, I'm going to go do this thing with so-and-so. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to do it. Can I, can I be a part of that, right? Which is, that's, I think the first time I've thought about doing that in this setting versus like in an office where when I was recruiting early on, you know, it was all pod structure, just like you mentioned. And right. Almost everything I learned was through osmosis, right? I hear somebody say something and I go, oh, I don't know that, right? And then ask someone else or ask that person once they got done with that call, like, how did you handle that? Or how did you think of that, right? And then it kind of just led me down pathways I wouldn't have probably discovered on my own. So it's interesting. Uh, do you have a standardized system um, when you're doing interviews? And if you do, can you kind of walk me through that, what that process looks like? Yeah, uh, we do. Um, so we'll do a phone screen to start with. Uh, so, well, you talk to the recruiter first. So, uh, You'll talk to one of the recruiters and they'll kind of run through a phone screen with you. Uh, they have their, we have scripts so that everybody gets the same set of questions. Uh, so the interview experience is pretty consistent. It's a good anti-biasing technique too. Um, we try not to have the conversation that you and I did at the beginning, which is, hey, how's it going? You know, sure, yeah. script because you know, that actually can bias you. So we'll go right into the script. Uh, the scripts are set up so that there's a couple of softball questions in the beginning. And then we get into some real ones so that you can kind of relax the person kind of mm -hmm. like you know an exam when you were in school you set some softball stuff up so pe people are relaxed and then you go into the details um, and they cover two areas one is you know to see they but get you in questions that are supposed to give us an indication of what kind of environments you like where you want to work you know what's important to you and then other questions about you know, your work to see if we can get an idea of uh, your technical aptitude. Um, so that's the phone screens. Uh, and then we'll go into, we'll do a full loop after you get there. So, you know, you pass phone screens, uh, you'll do a coding exercise, which is a take-home coding exercise. You bring it and present it to the team um, and you'll meet with the project 
product managers, the engineering manager, have a tech team interview with, you know, uh, with just an interview style, and then usually meet with me or us, or maybe one of our senior directors at the end to kind of, you know, have questions about the company, you know, just more for that person to get a chance to ask questions and understand what the company is doing, get more company direction questions. But that's a, that's kind of a softball section as well, because sure. you've already gone through the tough parts. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And each, so each section does have focus areas so that you're not answer, getting asked the same sets of questions by every different group, right? So making sure that they stay in their focus areas so that you, you get new questions every time, not the same set of questions over and over. Yeah. Okay. That, that's helpful. It is, it is funny when you go through interviews and you have, you know, four different people asking you the same things like, do you want a different answer or did you just not talk to the person before? <laughs> it, it is, it is very awkward because you feel like, should I say the same thing? Cause I thought yeah. I nailed it last time, but maybe I should say something different. <laughs> right. Are, are they preparing my answers to see if I, cause I, I have, I don't know. I feel like this is a somewhat of a good habit to have. Like you should, you know, the behavioral type questions you're going to get on a regular, like you get the same types of questions. Like tell me about a, a challenging experience and how you overcame that. Like those types of things, right? Like I have saved, like memorized questions in my head, but I can spit them out really well. You know, I can give you a really good one minute version of that. Um, but I do feel like if someone recorded me doing that, it would sound almost exactly the same later, right? Which feels much, it feels bad, right? <laughs> if that's the, the way it's coming out. But yeah, good to have a variety of questions. Um, I, I'm curious about the the product side. So this is something I've seen more and more. And, and having recently gone through a job search, I, I feel like I met with more product um, folks during the interviews than I was expecting to. Um, is that something that, that y'all deliberately put up as a part of the process because you, you've seen the importance of having someone product focused in those interviews? Or I, I'm just curious if you can share a little bit more about that. I, well, you know, obviously, and it depends too on the different, if you were more of a front-end person, we'll throw some design people in the loop. Sure. So, you know, it depends on, but you should... You know, the engineering manager and the product manager are going to be your primarily people that, you know, that give you the work and you're going to mm -hmm. be talking to on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so the engineering manager is really going to want to know how you take engineering direction and sure. it's important to you and things, right? And the product person is going to want to know how connected you are to the business. If you, your work is, if you take pride in your work, actually solving business problems, right? Um, sure. So I think it's useful for both to come in with an opinion because, you know, like uh, there is a different aspect to uh, engineers who want to solve the one problem as to who want to solve the other problem, right? And the people that do a mix. You can be useful in any one of those groups, right? But it's good to get both people's opinions to make sure that we know what we're, you know, what this person's going to do, where they're going to fit, you know, if we have a bunch of people who are very strong with delivering business, you know, uh, solutions, you know, then uh, you might be happy to have somebody with a more stronger engineering bent who really wants to focus on those areas, right? So that's kind of why we put them both in there. It's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I think you get different perspectives from the two different, you know, engineering managers you would from a product manager. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This is this is my first job where I've worked with maybe a, a actual developed um, product team, right? Rather than just kind of ad hoc, you know, engineering managers who kind of does the product stuff on the side. So that that's insightful. Uh, so I, I'm assuming you probably don't do a ton of technical interviews yourself now when you're whenever you're in job searches. But how do you feel? Um, you've done in technical interviews in the past. Do you feel like you were great at them, terrible at them, somewhere in between? 
Uh, it depended, you know, over the years, I got worse. <laughs> we'll say. Sure. Uh, part of it is, you know, the, the acceptable coding practices have changed over the decades, right? Sure. So, you know, what I learned uh, graduating from college in the 90s is a little different than people learn today. Uh, and, you know, unit tests weren't things, testing code didn't exist. And so over the years, when I get in technical interviews, and I still get technical interviews from time to time, which I think is kind of funny. And I can code, uh, you know, it's not like I can't do it, but uh, I, you know, I don't, my code style doesn't really match the modern world. And I feel I get, you know, it's not that my code didn't meet the solution. It's that it doesn't usually meet what they think is good coding practices today. So sure. uh, I'll get knocked out. So early on, I did very well, you know, and as I get, I just get further along, I, they do less well. Plus, you get further, depending on the company you interview with, a lot of the coding exercises are focused on very small, discrete solutions. Mm. Uh, so, you know, like something you can knock out in three or four hours um, or less. That's something I haven't done since I was in college. Sure. So yeah. I'm not used to thinking in, you're, you're used to being part of a gargantuan system, not used to writing something that is, you know, a small solution. Um, and I think that also your ability to do that weakens over the years. So you look less good compared to somebody who just came out of college, which is, you know, and they would say like, oh, he's got over 20 years of coding experience. I thought he would just bang that out. <laughs> but I find you actually get worse at it over time. Sure. I, I, that actually makes a lot of sense because rather than thinking in like ticket size, you're thinking in sprint sized or, or quarter size chunks, right? Which is a totally different type of thing because... I don't do that type of thinking at all right now. When someone asks me like, how would you set up this whole system? Like those types of system design interviews. I go, I, I don't make those decisions. I, think, I guess I should think about that, but somebody else makes those decisions and I get a piece of that, that I do. Right. And like, that's a totally, almost two totally different skill sets. Right. And I mean, it's, you know, everybody can write a discrete piece of code, but I think it takes somebody who's been, not been in it for a long time longer. Right. Sure. Cause you're used to thinking of, of writing something that is supposed to be part of a gargantuan system and it has to be, yeah. it has to be formatted to fit that kind of environment. Do you have any um, system that you use? So you, you run into a technical problem um, or you're in an interview or you're given some type of technical problem you don't have an immediate solution for, like how do you break that down or, or try to um, kind of take pieces off so you can start making progress on it? Uh, that's something actually, you know, when I, well, I also did not grow, you know, grow as an engineer when we did pair programming. So I know when the people expect me to ask more questions, I have to remind myself that sure. I'm not working by myself, that I have to ask questions. So, but, you know, that is something. So when I'm going through one of those things and we're pair programming, I have to remind myself to say, all right, talk through your thought process. <laughs> and yeah. say, all right. So I'm looking at it. I see you've got six things to do. I feel that, you know, a and C are the two easiest to get done, you mm -hmm. know, and say, and this, you know, kind of express why I think they're the easiest and then go back and forth with them and see if they agree with me and then, you know, start working there. But yeah, generally try to, because it's usually you can break it down into, I see this many problems. I can see that these seem to be easier and let's work our mm -hmm. way from the easiest down to the hardest. Um, and then I have to remind myself to talk with the pair programmer through that and see what, if they agree with me, and, you know, like, actually work through that and then kind of start from there yeah nice yeah i think that just getting something down to once you start to to get it down to i think some of those harder problems start to 
either become clear, like, okay, it's going to be really hard or, oh, maybe I actually understand this piece and that's a little bit easier to tackle, right? Um, so I think that puts and, you in a good spot. And you can also transition into, okay, I didn't get to this, but if we were going to tackle this, this is how I think, you know, like I've already stated out the link groundworks for this and this, so we can yeah. use this to help us achieve that, which will move us into this direction, you know, and you can, so if you don't tackle the com most complex ones, usually you can start talking through how you would have done it. I call that the hand waving, right? Where you don't actually yeah. have to do it. You just go like, <laughs> I would have done this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of times that, that's enough, right? At least an interview you can see, right. okay, you, you have an understanding of this, right? Even if we didn't get to implement that, right? Which you, maybe you get partial credit, right? Yeah, it, I, I believe, you know, is you should, part of the exercise, whether it's coding or whatever we're doing, it should be just walking people through how you would solve a problem. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's more important than getting it exactly right is, proving that you can think your way through the problem and come to a solution. Yeah, I, I've realized, um, especially in this most recent job searches, how much of interviewing is often just being able to conceptualize a problem that you have you know, no idea of until someone sends you a link or a, a big chunk of text that having to translate that relatively quickly, right? Into like, okay, I understand this can repeat coherent thoughts back to you and start working on something right like that piece sometimes is the most difficult piece even if you've seen a problem similar in the past you might not immediately recognize it as like oh this is a similar thing until you, you start working through it and you go oh okay i actually get how to do this right so uh, i like uh, you know pairing uh, more experienced engineers with younger engineers is a good thing because uh, i'll refer to the more experienced engineers as i've been there done that right Sure. I've seen this yeah. problem before and this is how we did it, right? Uh, but and if you pair them, but if you have just those guys, they will just always approach every problem the same way they've always done in the past. And if you pair them with younger engineers, they have a lot of ideas. They're excited about doing things. They have, you know, they haven't done it before. So they could, they'll actually help the more experienced engineers think of new ways of approaching things. But, you know, the more experienced engineers make sure they don't go totally off the rails and <laughs> try something sure. that is never going to get where they want to go. Yeah, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but maybe you put some cool rims on it, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Great. But do you have any any other advice or tips for engineers who are maybe going through technical interviews or just about to start a job search? Um, do your research uh, is always a good thing. You know, like uh, know the company you're interviewing for. Um, and a surprising, you know, it, it seems like a silly question. But a surprising number of uh, engineers I talk to, like, well, I'll say, like, why do you want to come work for Farmer's Fridge? Totally flubbed that question. <laughs> and Trump right. Club as well. You know, they didn't do the research. They don't really know. They just saw something. They applied to it. And they didn't bother yeah. to dig into it. Um, and, you know, it's a good indication to me of how much you really care about this job and want this job, right? Um, so spending some time. Doing that research means you'll be able to answer that question and a thing that is grounded to you. And you should be talking about something you believe, not just, you know, look it up and regurgitate something. Sure. Um, and it also helps, you know, you when it comes time for your questions, if you did your research to do that. And a lot of engineers will just skip that part thinking, I'm an engineer. I don't really have to know much about the company, but it does, you know, people who care about the company tend to stay longer, uh, tend to want to contribute more and are generally happier. So it's, you know, and if you do the research and you're not interested in the company, then probably not the place you should be interviewing, right? Sure. Uh, so I think that's the thing that engineers get most because um, day to day you program, right? So that will come out, you know, but you're talking to a company and you want to also present yourself in the light of really caring about that company. Mm.
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I agree, often overlooked. Probably one of the few ways to flub that that you know last <laughs> conversation with, with yourself or some other stakeholder, right? Is they ask you a question like that and you go, uh, I like food. <laughs> yeah. And you're, yeah. you're it's surprised. I'm like, it sounds like such a softball question. I'm like, how are you not prepared for that? But you know, sure. It's a, it's a surprisingly good indicator of a you know how well the person will succeed or if we make an offer, whether they will accept that offer. Sure. And um and if they flub it uh, and then we bring somebody in, they frequently leave fairly quickly. So I'm like, you sure. know, this is a really big indicator of how much you want to be here. Interesting. And something that I feel like it's not the, doesn't take a huge amount of time to figure out because it, it could be you love the business model, but it also could be, well, I think you're doing interesting stuff with, yeah. you know, these these machines are interesting to be able to do some type of technical work on like a physical thing versus like only web stuff. That's probably an interesting enough answer, right? Like yeah. it's I mean, something. It, it's it's hard to get the question wrong if you really talk about something you care about and sure. how that company connects it. Could be the food, could be our tech stack, could be the people, could be, you know, uh, could be that you're excited about the way we're going to be using data to do some AI to figure something out. You know, any of those are acceptable answers. It just has to be something that actually indicates that you know something that we do and care about the company and what we're doing however wherever it is sure yeah do you have any um different advice or additional advice for folks maybe this is their their first job search or, or their, like, their second job search like their early career it depends on where you come from um so uh app ops you know like uh if sorry not app ops sorry a boot camp if you go through a boot camp um you get some pretty intensive learning for a short period of time um but it really doesn't match up with somebody who's like, you go through a college program, you go four years, right? It's not as intensive, but you've done four years of coding. The, mm -hmm. the thought patterns are much more <laughs> embedded into your head, right? You've been sure. through it much more often. So if you're trying to find something coming out of a boot camp, it's good to give a place, find a place that'll give you, you know, a soft landing to grow from, right? Sure. To, work your way into being a full-time engineer. I know a lot of them want to go right into being embedded in an engineering team, but uh, I've seen that really, you know, either really stress the people out or, you know, and, or they give up because it's too hard. So finding a way to ramp into being an engineer, that should be your goal, right? You should be, mm -hmm. want to become, but finding a place that will give you a path where you don't have to be, have the expectation of delivering at a high rate from day one because you know you are you have to pick up a couple of years worth of programming to really be comfortable with that right sure um and you think like well it's a college kid how much how much more can they know but they they have they've been coding for four years right sure um so that's that's one so i think you know looking for a place that you know either has a good apprenticeship program or has some alternate program that you can work for a while to move your way in is important uh for your success for your your wanting to continue this career and all those things, having an entryway that gets you that chance to learn enough to be successful is important. Um, for college kids, uh, you know, like it, it's just, <laughs> um, it's tough. You got to find the companies that are actually looking for people that are, you know, doing that. Obviously your internships matter, um, but there's, there's going to be plenty of places that are, looking for people coming out of college. A good place for somebody coming out of college to first go is someplace that's pretty intense 
um, and gives you lots of chances to learn uh, across the stack. So mm. small to mid-sized companies, I think are very good because you get a chance to get your hands on a lot of stuff. If you go to a very large company, you end up very siloed and you'll sure. learn some one thing very, very well, but you don't get the broad set of knowledge that can help you figure out where you want to do with your career and help you broaden yourself and have more job options as you go forward, right? So I think a lot of people look at a big company and go, oh, this would be great, but then you get very siloed because they have hundreds and hundreds of engineers. So you get a very small perspective of what you're working on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I think um, consulting companies too uh, often um, hire early career folks like straight out of, of college. And, and I think it, every role is different. Every company is different, but often, you know, people will see three, four different clients over the course of a couple yeah. of years. And that is kind of a wealth of experience and you're expected and, to do billable hours, you know, <laughs> the I, I agree around. with that. That is a great, that is a great uh, way it's coming out of college to, to get exposure to lots of different things, different techniques, different areas of the company and broaden yourself because your early years should be about broadening your knowledge, not just of your tech, but the business so that you can feel more comfortable working in different areas and find a place that you really like. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, before we head into the break, um, any interviewing horror stories that you have from either side of the table <laughs> that, that you're willing to share that maybe people can relate to? I, I have plenty, but uh, we'll, we'll go, uh, uh, we'll go with uh, my trunk club interview. So um, when I went you to- You got the job though. I so got I'm the curious. job, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I, I think I did pretty well most of the sections, but uh, for some reason I didn't bring my laptop. I didn't, okay. I don't know why I didn't think I needed to bring a laptop, but I didn't. So, uh, so they found me a laptop because we had that pair coding exercise where I was working with another engineer, right? And sure. so I was, a, I was a PC guy. Now I have Macs, but up until then I'd never used a Mac. So they gave me a, they gave me a Mac, and I'm I'm working with it. And you know, on the PC, Control C and Control V are cut and paste, and on the sure. Mac, it's Command C and Command. So I kept like working, you know, like A, I didn't know I was going to be coding, so I was kind of stressed out as this, you know, this person is watching me code. And B, every time I tried to cut and paste my code, <laughs> I would hit. You know, I would hit control C and replace it with a C and then yeah. like, I have to do the, you know, like, oh, right. You know, so like I was just, it was, I, I barely got anywhere with the coding exercise. So uh, I, I, I was having problems with the keyboard. I was, uh, you know, they had to explain why I forgot my PC. Uh, so I, 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 I know, I know I must've gotten the double thumbs down on the coding exercise because sure. I, I couldn't barely get anywhere with it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I think it goes to show that um, sometimes people are like, oh, they didn't go as well as I wanted to or as well as I thought. And, you know, you can still end up with an offer after that. Right. Especially if it's maybe a position where that's not the most important thing. <laughs> and I think he felt bad for me after a while because he started saying, well, let's just talk through how would you set this up if, you know, like because, you, you know, saw me getting nervous and as I was getting nervous, I was making more mistakes and sure. <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Trying to give me like some softball, like, you know, like if you were to set up this function, how would you do it? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe talk through it. Right. <laughs> A little easier than trying to figure out the, the specific syntax. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well then let's take a break here. Then we come back. We'll move into the, the interview portion. All right. Great. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode, so be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash 
or an Apple podcast or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.